Hi everyone, uh, this is Robert from the future. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that we had a little bit of a technical difficulty and we lost my audio track here. Um, we've done our best to recreate it and put it in there, um, but at the very end you're not going to hear me at all during the wrap-up. Uh, thanks for sticking with us through the issues and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Framed, a podcast where a group of friends get together once a week to talk about movies, what we liked about them, what we didn't like, and how they're made. I'm Elliot. I'm Robert. I'm Phil. And I'm Brennan. So in this week's episode, we are going to be talking about the wonderful, the most amazing movie of all times, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Beautiful Great. film. Yeah, Beautiful. It, it was a piece of work, piece of artwork. <laughs> you could hang that up in a museum. Probably one of the best movies out there. So, where do we want to start? We want to give a overall, I don't even, overall concise opinion about it. Sure, I'll go first. Okay. Um... So, um, th- I mean, a lot has been written about The Last Jedi at this point. A lot has been said. <clears throat> I don't really have anything new or insightful to to add to w- the, the volumes that have already been said and written about this. I don't like this movie. I, I-, I think it's got a lot of issues. Um, I think that they had some good ideas in the beginning, like you can see like the beginnings of of ideas here that could have been fleshed out into interesting um story points but it it just like so much of it feels undercooked um there's some shockingly bad dialogue in this feels very first draft um there's some shockingly bad editing in this that's just like incredibly incompetent um there there are parts of it i like you know, but those are kind of like just little islands in a sea of of cringe. Um, Oof, cringe. I think that's that's that all. Bad? That that's that's all I'll say for now. Oof. I'm gonna take this in a completely different direction. Okay. I think this is a great example of a Genesis film, and I hear what you're saying right off the bat, Robert. This isn't her Genesis film. This is in the middle of her story. Mm-hmm. It's the middle film. It's in the middle of her trilogy. But I think it boldly slaps you, the viewer, in the face and says, Hey, you think you know how Star Wars works, but you have no idea. Let me show you how Star Wars works. Mm-hmm. And as we go through the film tonight, it's my hope that I'm going to be able to point out how they actually masterfully did this. Okay, okay. I'm I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on that because... Well, I, I'll I'll say some more after Phil and Brennan get a chance to get a, a word in. Okay, I'll go next real quick. Um, so, um, as a whole, going in with the other films, I believe it is the worst out of them. I wasn't a fan between, I don't know, just in comparison to all of them. It was just... Even including the prequels? Yeah, I was going to ask, is that with Jar Jar Binks on the table? Hayden Christensen? See, 
I know most how most people feel about that, but I love Jar Jar and those. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I we I've no. This is good because I, now no one oh will no. listen to anything else you say the entire podcast. I know, right? I, it's good you started with. I it. know, I but I love Jar Jar. But that being said, this movie, I thought if it was, which is, is kind of piggybacking off of what you said, Robert. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like it as a movie as its own would have been a whole lot of a better movie because people are expecting big things, expecting something different than what they got. Um, it had a, I mm. feel like on its own it had a good storyline for the most part, but there were things that were I did not like, and we'll go more into that in a little bit. Okay. How about you, Phil? Um, I always said leading up to this film that this Star Wars Episode Eight was going to be my litmus test for seeing mm-hmm. whether or not I'm going to actually go out of my way to see any of the later Star Wars films. And sure. after watching Episode Eight, this will be the second time I've seen it. Uh, I am definitely not going to go see anything unless they do some nuclear work the ground up option, get rid of all the hierarchy that's in place for the Disney Star Wars because it is thoroughly incompetent. When you say nuke everything, do you mean the people involved? The with well, like the direction the and the writers, like every everything, everyone involved with the main like deciding where the story goes is inept and bad at their job. So yeah. Okay. I there am, you go. I Phil, am Phil not, not a huge fan of this eight. movie. Uh, <laughs> I think it's like just on a technical basic make a movie level it is really stupid yeah okay so you're not you're not just put out with episode eight you're you're done with star wars i I think so so uh context i've not seen solo and i don't really care to see solo ever but like after you, episode... you, so you're judging this based on the first three of the yeah, yeah you have films episode seven which was a rehash of ep- episode four and it was it was decent it was okay and then i was not a huge fan of rogue one which i fell asleep in the theater for the first time watching <laughs> i'd never fallen too. asleep watching a movie before in the theater so that was interesting yep I... and then this one was uh, just not great so yeah, that's that's my happy, happy rainbows and sunshine opinion of the Last Jedi. Disney bad. Stick with Marvel movies. <laughs> Wait, we're too. We're too started with Marvel. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! We're we're to next, Captain Hankins. Captain. Um. Well, you just wanna. I mean. Talk, what so we love, dive what in. We hate. There's so much going on in this, because um, normally we would just kind of attempt to go chronologically. We could go by storyline. We could talk about Ray. We could talk about uh, Rose and Finn, and we could talk about Leia and um... Poe. 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 Yeah, I, I kind of like that because this is a—it's kind of a three-pronged movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could talk about each of those three plot lines, sort of standalone. Alright, so we want to start with, um, 
Let's start with Poe and Leia. Okay. Captain Holdo. So I'll I'll just I'll well I'll get my thoughts in since I've already started talking. Yeah. Um I I do think this is the most well developed of the three stories where it has the clearest character arc. Um, the first time I saw this, um, I came out of the theater thinking, oh, well, that was kind of a movie all about Poe and learning what it means to be a leader. Um, so I will say that it has that going for it. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'll, I'll let someone else interject if I, they'd like. like it's, it's hard to say that this is the weakest part of the plot because the Finn and Rose part is just abysmal. But I, mm-hmm. like, the way they have it structured, so there, as I said earlier, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of things written about this uh, film, and most uh, most positive ones have broken it down to three main storylines and how the characters are uh, vying, they're like characters representing both sides of the struggle that the characters are facing. Like, for example, Yeah, yeah, po so has, there's this... Go ahead. There's this really interesting. I think you're you're thinking of the um, uh, the imp- narrative imperative or just right. I forget what the, which YouTube channel it is, but there's this video essay out there about the Last Jedi structure and how for each of the characters that's driving the three plots, Ray, Finn, and Poe, they've got two characters on either end of the spectrum that represents their wants and their needs. So, like for instance, with Ray you have Luke representing what she needs as a character as opposed to what she wants, which was represented by Kylo Ren. And then you can do the same for Finn. So with Finn, it's like what he wants is, um, or what he needs is represented by Rose and what he wants, I think is represented by, um, the, the Benicio del Toro character. Um, and then with Poe, it's, it's, um, you have Captain Leia, Leia versus yeah. and versus Holdo, I think. I forget how it went exactly, but it was like they break it down to how the Last Jedi is about these three characters, kind of like trying to decide between their wants and their needs. Mm-hmm. But even from that standpoint, like I just uh, Holdo's uh, uh, point in Poe's uh, story and how he develops, I think, is just completely abysmally done. I mean, the whole plot well, point of why didn't she tell the, uh, him her plan, like, yeah. that's just kind of left up in the air. But as, as just a character, like, she doesn't quite make sense for me in the story. Like, if she's so important, su- such a high-ranking officer of the Rebellion, why would we have never seen her before, have no, like, interaction with her in the plot prior oh, to her Oh, we'll being... see her. Uh-huh. There'll be a backstory, I'm thinking at least three films do, do long. Do you get a spin-off <laughs> movie of Captain Holdo? Admiral Holdo? I'm sure lots of people would go see that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's going to be great. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you about the whole, like, pl- like you know, things are stretched out unnaturally simply because she doesn't communicate, like, a legitimate question to somebody else just because she doesn't like him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, so, so you, you, for Poe's, like, character arc in this movie, you have the whole, like, you know, you can't be a rash hothead flyboy, you know, that whole, like, yeah. stick. But, like... I feel like it's it's never really, like, come to fruition. Like, he's the cl- character that has the closest thing resembling, like, learning something throughout this film. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't feel like it's necessarily the best, like, 
I don't know, presented to the audience. It feels like it's kind of muddled in, like, what he exactly learns from this whole, like, episode. Do you want to rebut, Robert? So, I would say that this film, overall, presents the question of, does the needs of one outweigh the needs of many? Mm. We start out with the classic Star Wars credits crawl. Then we pan down to a ship, just like every other film. But then... We don't go to that ship. We go down to the planet. Mm -hmm. And I actually really liked that CG push in down to the planet. It was very kinetic and energetic like war. And I thought it was a cool director decision. Now, I didn't love that we ended up with random pilot number seven and not characters that are Star Wars characters, characters we know and love. Sure. And I think that hurt them. If it was up to me, I would have taken us down to Poe or Finn mm-hmm. or someone. Mm-hmm. Right. They like the, they had a, a lot of shots of just the general like uh, oh admirals and things like commanding people around like getting things organized. And there those were characters that were recurring from the uh, they were around in Episode Seven. Like I feel like if you're going to use them again, at least give them some character before just sure. making that the attachment point for the audience for the first like couple of shots yeah so we jumped down to the ground and i hated the the weird death ships or whatever we're supposed to call them star destroyers star destroyers i don't know why but them appearing in the The sky just felt very eh to me corny yeah I don't know why it would feel corny, because, like, I'm sure on paper it read really cool, but it didn't really feel like Star Wars to me. But then we jump up to the first set piece of the movie, mm. which is the bombing and the battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, my biggest problem with this film is that it went funny when I didn't <laughs> want it to. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I, yes. I, I agree with that. Now, I will say that when I watched this in theaters, people were laughing. Were you mm-hmm. laughing? No, but they didn't make this movie for me. Oh, I see. I can stand here all day and say, oh, this moment, it should have been serious. We should have left it to be dramatic, and that would have been the right choice. But these filmmakers clearly thought differently. They wanted to make it funny, and lots of people loved the the humor in this film. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any jokes that landed for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not the point. Humor is about taste, and clearly it was to some people's taste. Now, the whole idea of setting up the film with this big, fun to watch set piece with explosions and, and just larger than life mm-hmm. moments that felt like Star Wars to me. That's what the franchise was about. Showing people a galaxy far, far away. Now, yeah, there's plot issues, like bombs probably shouldn't (laughs) drop in space. Yeah. (laughs) But from a filmmaking perspective, it does such a nice job of setting up this adventure and giving us the thesis question, does the needs of one outweigh the needs of many? Yeah, sure. We see Poe struggling with the fact that he's okay with letting everyone die if it means destroying this evil. And then we have Leia, who's... Honestly, not completely against that. She, mm-hmm. she kind of gives him a slap on the wrist 
Right. She's not ordering everyone else back. She just says, no, don't do this, and then stands there and watches as everyone dies. Yeah. But with that aside, this does a great job of giving us the thesis right up front. If you were to forget everything you knew about this being a Star Wars film and just looked at it as a narrative, like, it's so cool how we present this question again and again and again. Like with Luke, does your needs to stay isolated outweigh the needs of the Rebellion? Yeah. Finn, does your wants to go and save Rey outweigh the needs of the Rebellion, of your friend? Mm -hmm. It's cool how the film just repeatedly asks this, and you have to give Ryan Johnson credit for setting up the movie you're going to see, even with the humor, which didn't work for me. It's right there at the beginning. Yeah. The first real exchange in this film is Poe and Hux with the, hey, I'm holding for Hux. Yeah, Hux. And people were roaring at this. And obviously, the jokes aren't for everyone, but you can't deny that it does such a good job of telling you what this movie is. Yeah, no, he, he lets you know up front. I think that's the yeah. sign of a good director. It, someone who's in control of the narrative and can set you up. And even if the jokes weren't always to my taste, you gotta give him credit. For me, the, the humor, um, like, I yeah, I, I'm not saying that the, you know, the joke's aren't going to work for everybody. Like, I, I I think there was a similar reaction when I went to see it where, you know, everyone was laughing at all the jokes. And, you know, I mean, I, I thought they were funny the first time around as well. You know, I, you know, they're, they're funny jokes on their own. I think the re the, where I take umbrage with the, the jokes is just how often they're used to undercut tension and serious yeah, moments. Yeah, they're put in the wrong um, spots, I feel like. In the wrong spots, totally. Like, so I can't take credit for this. I stole this from another yet another essay about The Last Jedi, but there's this thing in in screenwriting called bathos. And you see this everywhere in Marvel movies where it's it's essentially where you take a, a very serious moment and then you undercut the audience's expectations with a joke that's out of place. You know, and so... <clears throat> That's not hasn't really been a thing in Star Wars. Yeah, a good example might be when Hulk grabs Loki after his big monologue and smashes him around like a rag doll in Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. After like Yeah, that's a perfect yeah, after example. Monologuing. You take this really heavy monologue moment and you undercut it with the joke. He just interrupts it. If, if you yeah, want yeah. like both Guardians of the Galaxy movies are very heavy with this, especially the second one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that works for Marvel movies because they're comic book movies and you're you know you're in for like a colorful, you know, somewhat silly kind of story. <clears throat> I think that it works less well here be, given the the nature of Star Wars and kind of like I mean, so like it's it's the back and forth that bugs me. Like I agree that if you're going to you make your thesis statement up front and let people know what kind of movie they're in for, I I don't disagree with that. As it goes along, though, we're given all these like really heavy, serious moments that are constantly being undercut with jokes and silly cuts and stuff like that. So it's like, I to me, this movie is just like can't decide which lane it wants to be in. It's like it wants to be really serious and heavy. It wants to be the next Empire Strikes Back, but then it wants to have like, you know, BB-8 crashing into a wall or like this intense close-up of what you think is a spaceship and then it turns out to be an iron, you know, stuff like that. I also think it's important, like, it is important for a director to get out front, like, what 
their movie's going to be like, and they shouldn't feel like they have to be conformed to what came before it. But a certain respect, yeah. like you mentioned the Iron thing, I think you do have to be cognizant of what you're directing for. And, like, the humor in this movie just feels... Like, it, like Star Wars are... The Star Wars movies are humorous movies. That You can find a lot of jokes in the original. But they're oh, not, yeah, like... Sure. They don't feel... The story doesn't take a sidestep for the jokes. Like, it mm-hmm. just kind of flows naturally with the dialogue and with the characters and how they interact. It's not... Right. I, th- I think an example would be, like, if you re-edited Empire Strikes Back, like, and you took the scene where, you know, Luke is out on the bridge and Darth Vader is, is getting ready to tell him, I'm your father. If you cut in the middle of that scene to, like, C-3PO falling apart and he's like, where are my legs? Mm-hmm. You know, that would, it would be the same kind of thing. And that's that's kind of my other or like Luke prong, gets his hand prong. cut off and then cut to C three PO screaming that his hands off. Yeah, something like that. That's that's kind of the other prong of why I don't like this movie is just the way it's edited. But we, you know, we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I agree uh, with what Robert is saying in that I think that the uh, the Poe storyline is set up very clearly and you know it's. Uh, you know, developed really well. Like, that's that's actually, of the three plots, that's the one I have the least issues with. So, as we continue with the Poe plot, we have to deal with the elephant in the room, which Phil already brought up, and that's the whole um, Captain, <laughs> Admiral, Marshal, whatever she is. Holdo. Whatever rank Hodo <laughs> is. Captain Purple Hair. Yeah, she's an Order. alien. You can tell because she has... Purple hair. Anyway, the issue we run into is why doesn't she just tell her crew what she's planning? And I wouldn't be surprised if there was something in the script to explain that and it just ended up getting cut as oftentimes happens. Hmm. It seems like a massive... uh, Oversight? Oversight. And maybe not. Maybe the hundreds of people that worked on this just didn't think that it was a plot hole. (laughs) But more likely to me is that they did have something there with her giving an excuse, whether it was a good one or a bad one. But in test screenings, in in working with it, they just decided the pacing was off and they needed to lose it. Sure. I want to be careful because there's almost always things happening behind the scenes that we as an audience don't get to see. So I don't want to bash it too much, but it does definitely feel really off. Like he's on your team. Just tell him that we're going to this planet to hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like he's working for the empire. It's like, he's, yeah, he's, you know, we're right. all on the same side here. So maybe she didn't have the plan right away and she was stalling and trying to come up with it. And, and she only, came up with the option later well then why didn't she just say so well i think you could argue that um the scene where she's refueling the escape pods and he comes running in might have been that spot at first she's holding everyone back and trying to talk to him and then he goes and says something grouchy and she's like get him off my bridge Mm -hmm. so maybe she came up with the plan there and she was like oh you're here. Let me explain. Oh, no, you're going to be gra- Okay. No, not telling you. You know, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, that brings us to a moment that I will not defend in this movie, 
which is Mary Poppins flying around. <laughs> All right. Glad we're getting to that. Yeah. I really did not like the force flying thing that they came up with there. To me, it's, it's the music. It, the music is what just makes my skin crawl. It's like completely... I love John Williams, but that, that moment is just completely it, the, wrong, like just soundtrack-wise. I do think that it's interesting because for better or worse, what this film is trying to do is saying you do not have any idea what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The speculation around this movie going into it was just absurd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone had their own pet fan theory about what Snoke was or Mm -hmm. what Luke was going to do and... All these different things. And I think everyone expected Leia to die because Carrie Fisher died. So right off the bat, they blow her up. And I was like, wow, right at the beginning, you're going to do this. Just nothing else. Just we're starting right there. But then they bring her back. And once again, the filmmakers are saying, no, you don't come up with this story. We're telling this story. Yeah, sure. Now, they are going to have to deal with CG characters, and it definitely would have been easier to just kill her off. So, I'm kind of excited to see what technology is developed and where we go from here with her character. Yeah. Even though the look of it was too Mary Poppins for me, and I didn't like that, I loved the confidence in the choice right? Uh, Earlier you said this movie can't pick its lane. I would argue that it absolutely has picked its lane. That lane happens to be the shoulder driving the wrong direction, but it knows what it wants to do and it's doing it. It's doing it intentionally. Yeah, sure. At at the same time, like, I I disagree that... (sighs) I I come back to the fact that you can't just, like, re... You can't rework a movie's universe just to fit your movie. I think it's important for a director to be able to work within the confines of what he's given. The the specific scene mm-hmm. with Leia, like her being blasted out of the ship and force pulsing her way back, like yes, you can like say to the audience, you don't know what we're doing, every anything could happen. But at the same time you can't just like blatantly like disregard Star Wars is a fairly self serious universe when it comes to like physics and whatnot. And sure. there's no way like force powers aside <laughs> she would survive that the fact that she survives that is just completely asinine to me well, it takes and, you out of the moment yeah and adding to well kind of adding to the phy- physics and aspect of it her coming back in um yeah would have we were talking up. about this earlier yeah, <laughs> we were there in the how it should have ended video they actually address this oh they do like, they have, yeah. a, they have a little gag where Leia's coming back in through the airlock and they open it and, and they it all sucks get sucked out, out the door. <laughs> and also um, on the side of her being Force-sensitive, she's like we've seen her, what, just... The only part of her Force-sensitive is like mind-wise, isn't it? Not really. She's never actually used she, the Force. She likes to communicate, yeah. yeah. But, she never but actually... other than that, she all just randomly all of a sudden has this ability to use it more but then doesn't ever use it again yeah so (laughs) yeah 
Go go ahead, Rob. Yeah. No, it's okay. <laughs> so uh, since we're we're kind of edging into this, um, so I just want to throw this in as a sidebar. Um, so do we think that subverting expectations just for the sake of subverting them is is good in this case? Because I was thinking a lot about this leading up to this, and I think it's interesting we put these two movies together. You know, Blade Runner was last week, and then you know now we're talking about the Last Jedi. I'm sorry, Brennan, that you you weren't able to join us for Blade Runner, but that's okay. Um, without going into any specific plot potential plot spoilers, that movie has a lot of subverted expectations in it, where they lead you to think one thing and then they yank the rug out from under you. This movie does similar things, um, and just strictly. By way of opinion, you know, it works for me in Blade Runner, but not in The Last Jedi. And so I'm curious if, if that's just simply the expectations that I went in with or, or if, if you all think that. So I haven't, you know, I haven't seen Blade Runner mm-hmm. yet because, well, we all know my issues with finding it. Um, that being said, I feel like there is more to the Star Wars universe than there is with the Blade universe. And there's more movies. Yeah, and there's more... So we have that... Like you said, we we all went into this Star Wars movie with a little bit higher expectations, which, in turn, will more than likely make the movie seem a whole lot worse than it probably actually was. But, yeah. Yeah, well said, Brennan. I think, to answer your question, Elliot, that maybe one of the reasons that Blade Runner worked so well for you was you didn't expect anything from it. But with Star Wars, it's such a part of culture that we've all spent the last months just rehashing different theories and making the movie in our head. So of course it's not going to live up to that. Mm. And to jump back to what Phil was saying, yes, Absolutely. In our galaxy, if you opened the airlock, everyone would fly out and die. But this isn't our galaxy. This is a galaxy far, far away. And if Leia can have these hitherto unseen force powers that allow her to push herself into the ship, why couldn't she make a force field if you will to keep the oxygen in as she's coming in yeah sure we we definitely run into this apologetics issue of because wizards if we're not too careful but you've got to remember that even in the previous films luke didn't have the ability to summon his lightsaber until his life was threatened by the the yeti thing Uh, We've seen in the Star Wars universe how being put in a life-threatening situation will unlock Force abilities. Every Jedi makes a leap when... um, Push comes to shove. Yeah, when push comes to shove. I think if we changed the order that the films came out and we watched 1, 2, and 3 before 4, 5, and 6... Uh, in, in five, we would be saying, whoa, 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 you can't just decide that they can telepathically talk to one another. Where's this coming from? That's not allowed. 
I think we as fans, we have a tendency of taking too much ownership of something and saying, whoa, 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 Mm -hmm. that's not allowed. Uh, Whereas in the first film, like, that wasn't allowed either, but we just accepted it because we we didn't have that ownership yet. And Mm -hmm. we were like, oh, this is cool. I like watching cool people do cool stuff. The thing you gotta remember are these movies are made to make a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, No joke about, no joke there. And a large portion of that is going to be through merchandising. Like, it's it's very well known that mm-hmm. George Lucas, when he first got Star Wars made, took a smaller salary so that he could hold on to the whole merchandising rights. Right. That choice is what built his empire. Disney's trying to build an empire as well. Right? They're targeting the 10 to, you know, 15-year-olds that are going to buy the toys, the bedsheets, the everything. Yeah. That is what funds these films. That's what lets us have Star Wars. So we have to make room for some of these weird corporate-y, franchise-y choices that we might not be for. And but I, do, they... I do agree with that aspect of it, that I think that... Ryan Johnson was not making this movie for us or even for the previous generation of Star Wars fans. I mean, you just have to look at the final scene with the the boy with the broom to let you know what he's who he's aiming for. Um, you know, he he says it pretty clearly there. I think that this is for the next generation. So I I agree with that. That you know, well, I, you didn't really finish your thought. I guess you're I fine. I don't really know where I was going with all of that, but. I think we're so concerned with the sacred text sure. of Star Wars. And I think if if Star Wars, A New Hope, but originally it was just called Star Wars, if it was concerned about being sacred or following rules, we wouldn't have this film that we love. We wouldn't have this franchise that we get so worked up about when people do things that we don't agree with. I think this film is closer to the spirit of Star Wars than you guys are giving it credit. Yeah, I saw I saw some interesting tweets um, after Last Jedi came out, and people were like throwing a fit online about Luke's, you know, astral projection to the the fight at the end, and people were saying, "Oh, Jedi's have never done this. Why are they just making stuff up?" So Ryan Johnson went and found some existing um, extended universe Star Wars novels where this stuff. Like, other authors had already written about Jedis doing stuff like this. So he's just kind of saying, yeah, no, this, not as far out. No, yeah, it's canon. Yeah. Well, but at the same time, like, the extended universe, like, that's just kind of a glorified fan fiction that never got the same level of officiation or sanctification that the movies have. Like, that's always been, like, a little... Uh, one-off thing to get to your point robert though i would argue that you can't really draw correlations between episode eight and the fourth the first star wars technically the fourth one because the first one didn't have it was establishing the universe you can't like then just i don't know re-establish a universe you can't re-establish it and like not give a good explanation for why or just have it be like very lazy uh, someone survives an explosion, flies out into space, doesn't get frozen or burned to death, and can float back and be perfectly healthy in a, like an hour or so. Like that—that's yeah. that, a big leap. 
I mean, you could survive for a little bit in space before completely freezing. It's not like space touches you and you're instantly frozen. And right, if you have she... special force-breathing uh-huh. powers and... So, but well, see, this is my thing. Now, this gets back to the point Elliot was making earlier about, like, you know, subversion of expectations is a good thing or a bad thing. With, mm-hmm. like, a lot of this stuff, I think it's everything in moderation. Like, yeah, you can introduce new force abilities. That's fine. You can subvert expectations and do things the audience doesn't expect. That's fine. I think this film goes way too far out of its way and just kind of uh, gorges itself on every single thing you think that's going to happen. Nope, this happens. To the point where you don't give the audience anything substantial other than twists and subverting expectations. There's nothing, like, you can grasp onto and, like, feel connected with the characters for because... Why should I get connected if something's going to happen and I'm just going to completely like change what I think? Conversely, conversely, uh, just really quick. Well, this is going to get into a different... I think that it goes too far in some places, but then not far enough in a lot of other places. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to talk more about that when we get to Finn and Rose. Go ahead, Robert. Sorry. I just had a segue to get us to move on, but it doesn't work as well anymore. Do it. Oh. You know what else you can't grasp on to? Luke's lightsaber, because he threw it over his shoulder. Okay. All right, Robert, Robert, question. Yes. Okay. So this film establishes that the Rebel Chase takes 16 hours, right, before they're out of fuel. Correct. Yes. (laughs) Why then do we have multiple day-night cycles, and given, like, many – the the way the film is cut, it makes it seem like Rey's on the island with Luke for multiple days. So I will say – I mean, yes, she's definitely there for multiple days. But what makes you think that a day lasts the same amount of time on every planet? Because she's still talking to Kylo Ren while she's on this planet, and Kylo Ren is still chasing the rebels with the 16-hour time limit. Like, this is such a massive thing for me that just completely undercuts the entire Rey-Luke segment. Well, I mean, you could say that the planet had shorter day-night cycles... Yeah. Well, right, right, but the film is cut so that you feel... It's similar to the Yoda thing on uh, episode 5, where you feel like yeah. Luke is there for an extended amount of time training. But you, can, you they cut it to try to do the same thing with Rey, but it just doesn't work because the time doesn't add up. The film puts itself in this ridiculous 16-hour well, restraint where everything, all the plot development, all the character development has to happen within 16 hours. It, it, it like, I could buy that it's like, oh, it's on a shorter day-night cycle, but the way that the, the Ray-Luke stuff is paced, it does seem odd that they get from point A where she arrives, she chases him all over the island, you know, all this stuff happens. We get to point B in the span of 16, like, parsecs. 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 16 parsecs. <laughs> it's all I'm going to say, parsecs. <laughs> We've already established in Star Wars that time is a fluidy thing. But, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be. They oh, could make it like time could be whatever it wants to be, right? Admittedly, Phil, I hadn't even considered this issue, <laughs> and I have absolutely no rebuttal for you at the moment. It just it, I, to me, I just to me it, it it well go ahead, Phil. Oh, I was just gonna say I really just like okay. I, I'm shelving all my complaints I could have for Luke because Luke is my favorite character in all of Star Wars and I think they butchered him, but this is a personal thing, so I'm not going to even touch on Luke's character. But just the way <laughs> they have the training set up, is the whole island scene, all those scenes were just kind of bleh to me. I don't know. The training itself was just not that interesting because mm-hmm. he, the promised third lesson never happens. The first lesson is there's a force 
they're supposed to feel after she's already, you know, utilized the Force significantly in the first episode. What I got out of the first lesson was that Force equals Blade of Grass. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Yep. But it's, it's like... The lessons are just bleh. In defense of the first lesson, and this will take just a little bit of time. Okay. <laughs> I think that that scene is the most fan service exactly what you guys were asking for earlier with respecting Star Wars, because it's trying to make the Force mystical again instead of just a bunch of metachlorians. Right. Mm. Trying to kind of undo okay, what fair. the prequels Undoing did. the midi Right, Ryan stuff. Johnson is trying to make it this heavy, mystical, cool thing that gets people excited again instead of just, yeah, yeah, the Force is Metachlorians, some people have it. <laughs> sure, she already knows that the Force exists, and this scene isn't really helping develop that part of the story at all. But I don't think that's what this scene is trying to do. I think that it's trying to tell her and the audience that, yes, the Force is out there and we're aware of that, but there's also this need for balance within the Force, this mystical drive demanding good and evil Mm. to be in check with one another. So I agree that it's not the most exciting scene, but I do think that uh, it does a good job of framing this. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. 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 This question. Yeah. Of is the force this exciting thing that we all thought it was, or is it this weird, boring thing that we've been told it is? Well, mm. right. They're trying to like show you that the, you can't just assume that the light is good, the dark is bad. Like there's a balance that you have to find, which is it's the whole more point like of, yin and yang. Yeah, yin and yang style. And the extended universe gets into this with like the gray Jedi, who are supposed to be like kind of in between. My my, but then the, like a lot of the plot points in this movie, I feel like are undercut by character actions. Like, okay, Luke cut himself off from the Force because it's just good versus bad. Like, why does he like get back connected to the Force later on in the movie? Like, there's no good reason for him to do so. It's kind of left ambiguous to the audience. If you're going to make a big deal about the fact that Luke is trying to get her to feel the Force when he's cut himself off from it, well, I think that Ray is is showing him, uh, showing him that she is the spark that's lighting the rebellion. Oh, okay, on. Her being there is what causes him to go back to the Force. Uh, I do think that there is something right. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Another thing about the island, um, the cave scene. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. I loved. So I loved the artistic value of that scene. Sure. Yeah. No. It was, I, I mean, it was. I mean, I would say that the movie looked great. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Throw, oh, yeah. yeah. I agree yeah. there. I just that was visually, one that... it's probably the best looking Star Wars. I would argue. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, visually, it's great. A lot, a lot of memorable shots and scenes visually, for sure. Um, I feel. What are, do you guys feel like there could have been more to that? Yeah, th- for well, me, it felt like kind of a wasted opportunity. Like it was reinforcing, you know, oh, Ray's no one. She doesn't like have special parents. But like, it, it was such a cool set piece that I felt like. It didn't really. Uh, it was. It subverted my expectations and didn't do anything with it. <laughs> yep. So like, I, I, yeah, and I think that gets back to the whole, like, 
you know, coming into the movie with certain expectations and having them subverted. Like, you know, I'm where some of us are saying that that doesn't work. And, you know, Robert's arguing that, you know, we went in with <clears throat> wrong expectations, you know, um, you know, if I could paraphrase. Uh, and I, I think that it, it, you know, the, the cave scene just kind of folds into that of like making you think it's going to go one way and then, for better or worse than proceeding to yank the rug out from under you and saying, nope, it's this. See, I like that on occasion. Like, if they do that two, three times in a movie, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was done. It was overly done in this particular movie. Cause you're, I feel like every time you turn around, you're expecting one thing and another thing happens. And in some aspects, it was a good thing, like the whole Snoke Ray and Kylo thing when Snoke died. Like, granted, I wish there was more Snoke background, but mm-hmm. that's we'll get into that later probably. But um, I just feel like there are some of those opportunities, like this cave scene, where they could have... If they're going to make this big artistic scene that looks sorry that was probably one of my favorite scenes artistic mm-hmm. like shot wise and then for it to go do nothing pretty much other than still like through this whole movie we still really don't know who Ray's parents are well that's mm-hmm. because Ray is Anakin her parents are the Force. That's why you see two figures turning into Ray. Oh, I like that. Mm. I've never, I didn't. That's, that's interesting. But but I think that they could still see. Okay, part of this, I think we're not done yet. This is the middle chapter. You know, they could still take it somewhere interesting. Yeah. In Episode Nine, can it? So. Well, I don't, I mean... Because you have the scene say? with Kylo at the end, she, he's like, you know you know the truth, your parents are like junkers, they sold you off for drinking Well, money. how do you know that he was she, not she's lying, lying to her. Like, she, she like, the, the movie, well, for all the subversions, like she doesn't really, like, give you any indication that she has any doubt. Like she's He's just speaking into her fears and... Yeah. Are, are, you, are you telling me that Ryan Johnson fears? is playing such four-dimensional chess that he wants the audience <laughs> to think this so that when the movie gets directed by someone else, they can retcon it? I don't, I mean, so there's nothing, we, nothing. Okay, to think that they don't have the next movie mapped out before doing this one is ridiculous. There's too much at stake. Oh, I fully believe they had no plan going forward. See, the thing is, no, no, no. No, no, no. People got on record saying that Ryan Johnson threw out all the plan for episode eight that J.J. Abrams left. Like, any, like, sort of story outlined what J.J. had in mind. Yeah, like I don't have any sources cited in front of me, it. but what I what I had heard was that J.J. Um, Abrams spoke to Ryan Johnson in broad strokes about what he had in mind for Episode Eight, and then Ryan Johnson was like, "Yeah, I'm not doing that," and chucked it. But that's at this point, that's that's hearsay. As far as our debate is concerned, this, I, I don't have a source in front of me to cite. I, I think Phil is looking that up. <clears throat> Um, but yeah, going back to the island, um, I, I want to, uh, have us talk about the porgs and the, the fish nuns briefly, um, before we move on to, to 
I mean, I don't know that it, it will gain us anything by me continuing to bash this movie like on every little detail, but um, I, so I, so go ahead, go ahead. So the Porgs I can accept. I would have preferred either the Porgs or the Crystal Foxes. Mm-hmm. Crystal, crystal critters. critters. Sorry, Crystal Critters. I, I get that merchandising needs to get in there. I'm mm-hmm. totally fine with that. I can easily give you one. Both felt a little too much for me. And the fish nun things, <laughs> I got no defense for those. <laughs> well, to, that was so, this, bad. Is, this is one of the things where I mentioned earlier that this movie is riddled with incompetent editing. This is one instance of that, in my opinion, where we establish when Ray and Luke, we have the first couple of scenes with them. We establish that the island is not populated by anybody. Yeah, that there's no one there. And then 20 minutes later, oh, there are these fish nun people. What? Yeah, and they're everywhere. Right. So, and then it's like, then, then they don't contribute anything. They like show up in like two more scenes to provide comic relief. And that's it. Like that's, why were they there? Why did, why did we need these characters at all? And with the Porgs, all, all, all I'm going to say about the Porgs is I'm fine with them being there for merchandising. Like, I get it. It's Star Wars. It's There's going to be merchandise. <clears throat> the problem for me with the Porgs is that, again, they don't do anything for the plot. The Crystal Critters do something. They show them the Rebels where the exit in the cave is. So the Crystal Critters get a green check mark for me. The Porgs don't do anything. So on the... They made me one useful thing the Porgs did in this movie that moved the plot forward they gave chewy the needed sustenance to fly the falcon home okay, okay so that gi- that gives me something so i think i've talked with elliot about this a couple times um the porgs i feel like so we got bb8 and we got um hold up let me i just completely lost my train of thought um, 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 continue on and I'll revisit what I was saying. I just well, completely well, lost it. To get my two cents that's, in that's on okay. the Porgs, I actually enjoy the fact that they rotoscoped out the penguins on the island and replaced it with the Star Wars creature. I think that's really neat. <laughs> I just wish that they hadn't like been so front and center, like shots dedicated just to show the Porgs. Like if they had just like been fun, it... like background things for you to look at, then I, 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 I like the idea behind it. Like it seemed to me like. Ryan Johnson wanted his own minions. He wanted he wanted a thing in the movie that people on Facebook would turn into little cute gifs and repost. Okay. And but, uh, okay, I remember back what I was. I'm, okay, trains back on thought. <laughs> you I, I said minions, and Brennan was like, "Oh, I remember now." So I feel like, which granted, I agree with what you were about to say about the the whole minions and gifs stuff. But I feel like so we've got R two D two. And the mm-hmm. I'm gonna call it the original six. Well, I'll rope all six of those. We've got, and I mean R2D2 is still in there, but mm-hmm. goes with the um, BB-8s, right? They're updating it. I feel right, that right. way with taking Chewbacca. As much as I love Chewbacca, and I don't want to compare him to them, but Chewbacca and the Pox. Granted, Chewbacca in the OG movies have per- has purpose. Even in the last one, Chewbacca. I 
think he had purpose in the last one. I don't fully remember the last one. Been too long since I've watched he's, it. He's kind of a wingman to Han. He didn't do too much other than, like, uh, he had a couple of interactions with Finn, but, like, he wasn't a huge center, center point for the movie. Mm-hmm. So, well, for, so, for, so, the, no, no, for the listeners, quote. listeners at home, Phil just posted an article. Go ahead, Phil. Say okay, I was going to say, uh, this is a quote from the actual article, and I'll post it in the chat. In an interview with a French media outlet, uh, Ridley revealed that Abrams had written broad strokes for the entire new Star Wars trilogy. When Johnson signed on to direct episode 8, he scrapped Abrams' early drafts. So if you take Daisy Ridley's word. Mm-hmm. I was like, why does Ridley Scott have a hot take on this? (laughs) Ridley Scott? (laughs) Is that you? So, I think I get what you're saying, Brennan, about how um, Chewbacca is just kind of there and doesn't do anything to the plot, kind of like the Porgs. C-3PO and R2-D2 are kind of in a similar boat as well. Yes. C-3PO could be hit by a bus, and I would be fine. Hey. No. Well, like, have C-3PO, like, get exploded, like, with Leia. That would have been great. Give, no. give some actual weight have to the... Have hit by a bus. <laughs> An actual yellow school bus. Please. <laughs> it's the, uh, the, the, the bus from Duel. See, see Robert, <laughs> Robert, that, that would have subverted my expectations. Why didn't that happen? Because <laughs> it would have been ridiculous, and all of this film's subversions make sense. That, okay. They're not just yeah. throwing in random school buses. That's not giving Speaking them enough. Yeah, this is not Spaceballs. Speaking of throwing in right? random things, can we talk about the Finn Rose subplot now? Segway, okay. man. <laughs> All right. So I think out of the three subplots, I think I have the most issues with Finn and Rose. Like Luke and Ray are kind of in the middle for me with, you know, the Poe, Haldo, Leia one being the best. I think Finn and Rose have the most issues. Um, Robert, do you want to set the? Do you want to frame this before I go no, into it? No, I rather play cleanup. Okay, okay. So I could crack my knuckles here. So with Rose, um, I come away from this movie not knowing like who who she is and what she's about, other than she believes in the rebellion. That's about it. Like. She, her, her first scene with Finn where they're talking by the escape pods, I think is, is pretty well written and, and interesting. Um, you know, Rose is presented as this kind of like stuttery, really nervous, self-conscious kind of character. Um, and then that version of Rose kind of vanishes from the film and she, she turns into a completely different person for the rest of it. <clears throat> so she's not very consistently written is my first issue with Rose. She, she just kind of starts one way and then ends up as a different character not in a good way like her she doesn't have any like reason to turn into a different character by the end mm-hmm. um i don't um think her saving finn at the end is is very effective or, or even like sp- spatially logical <laughs> Well, like, how did she get around in front of him? Well, also, just from a character standpoint, like, when we were introduced to her in the movie, she's, like, in the brig, stunning people, trying to abandon ship because she is, you know, emotionally devastated by her sister dying, you know, very mm-hmm. bravely for saving the rebellion. And she ends the movie with 
basically her saying, screw the rebellion, I care about this guy, crashes into a ship hoping that they both survive. Mm-hmm. Like, just a very opposite place from where she started. Well, okay, and that's 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 fair. That I mean, that that is a character development. But which no, I no, no, I'm saying it, it's a character development that doesn't make sense at all for her. Like she she doesn't interact with things or like have see things that would lead her to get to that point. And from what I've yeah, if anything, the journey that she goes on with Finn should just enforce that. Well, I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, like. Because, you know, what she learns, or what Finn at least learns, is that, you know, the, the, the you know, the rich people have been selling weapons to not just the bad guys, but the good guys, too. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, so, they, they end up in opposite places. Like, mm-hmm. Finn is willing Finn to Finn is willing to sacrifice himself, and she's like, no, you know, don't look do out it. For your, yeah, look out for yourself, basically. So it's like, well, I, I don't get it. It's her her character's <laughs> just don't, don't so mangled. So I will say in the defense of her her arc like she her motivation is still there. She saves Finn because she says that's how we beat them by mm-hmm. by saving things we care about. So it's not like she's saying screw the rebellion, let's just get together. Yeah, no I don't think that's what is is going on with From her like character. a character standpoint though. Uh their their big thing is they're they're setting up the story that that they're being tracked right. Um, Rose is the one that figures that out. But when they're when they're telling Poe that uh, Finn steps in front of her, gets in front of her, and says, "Hey, this is what's happening. This is what we're going to do," and she just takes the back seat. But then, at the end, we've we've seen her grow into this person that doesn't just stand in the back she steps in front of finn she pushes finn out of the way to get what she wants that's a lot of character growth she's basically the audience right she's what finn was in the first one the ordinary person doesn't have any special abilities doesn't have any cool powers there's no reason that she should Mm -hmm. be the hero in this situation she does. She does the right thing. She shows us that you don't need the force. You don't need training. You don't need any of this stuff. You you too can be a hero. All the films have the ordinary character. Mm. That's what she is. I, I, I just I don't think the plot development for those characters are there to put them at these points though. Like their characters feel very under undercooked for me. Like even It's like yeah, yeah. I think that like these things maybe existed in Ryan Johnson's mind and like you could you could extrapolate them from what's there but i think that you know in the hands of another screenwriter these these things that we're talking about would be more emphasized to where the audience could track with with what you're saying of you know if that if that was the intention i think of 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 Ryan Johnson in the first place but the the whole whole reason we're debating this is cuz it's not clear fair point fair point can we what about so going on with their relationship? Do we also want to add in the fact that the Finn and Ray relationship? Because in the previous movie, they kind of built up kind of their relationship. At least mm-hmm. I felt they did, and then they took the turn in this one, adding Rose in the mix. Well, yeah. yeah, you gotta have a love triangle. You can't have Star Wars. <laughs> I, I think triangle. that they they are setting that up. Like, there's a shot t- 
towards the end of this where you sort of see Ray glancing at Rose with Finn standing between them where it's like, okay, they're, they're setting this up for some sort of love triangle in episode nine. Um, so, I mean, I think we'll just have to wait and see where that, that goes. But yeah, I, I agree that, um, you know, you built up this nice chemistry between Ray and Finn in episode seven and then not develop it further in this one. Except for the for, only, for better the or only worse. developing that might have been was um, when Ray's getting out of the pod to face Kylo and Snoke. She tells Chewbacca mm-hmm. something about Finn. Mm-hmm. But we don't know yeah. what that is. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned that last time I watched it. I was like, it would have been great instead of Chewbacca roaring. She's like, yeah, that'll do. Like, actually, have her... Because she never, like, interacts with Finn throughout the entire movie. Which I thought it was a shame because Finn and, Ro- uh, Finn and Ray's, like, interactions were some of the best parts of Episode Seven. Did yeah, they? Sh- shot themselves in the foot. I think that that scene is another good example of um, where they undercut what could have been a powerful moment with a silly joke where, you know, we, we would learn more about Ray's character. if She'd said, tell Finn, you know, I love him or, you know, something like that. Instead, it's, we, we get like a joke in that moment. But we're also allowed to put whatever we want in there. So like in my mind, Chewie goes, I know because of, sure. Because of fun. But, but like Ray should have no idea what that's a reference to. (laughs) Well, yeah, he's just using that as an example. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. But that's exactly the point. You put in actual dialogue there, and you got people saying, oh, well, well, she can't know that, or this can't happen, or that. This this allows... Well, and like, she knew about she knew about the legends of Luke and Han Solo. Right. Know. So this is, like, a safe way to allow fans mm-hmm. to... That's such a lazy way to write it. Maybe. Like... If you have the guts to, like, do all these subversions, then actually have the guts to go through and have characters, like, have actual lines, don't leave it up into the air. Yeah. That That's that's my take on it. I just think it's not terribly consistent in how it's deciding when and how it's going to subvert audience expectations. So I think the only point, or re- the kind of major character that we haven't really talked about yet completely is Snoke. Oh boy. Do we want to talk about Snoke stuff? Did Andy Circus do the motion capture for this? Okay. <clears throat> Let's start. No, I mean I can't can't be mad at that. You know, I I love Andy Circus. Yeah, no, yeah. Andy Circus is the best. He does motion capture like nobody's <laughs> business. So with Snoke, <laughs> I'm the fanboy that sat around theorizing what Snoke's backstory was since the moment Star Wars A New Hope 2 came out a couple years ago. (laughs) To just when The Last Jedi came out just a little bit ago. So I definitely fall into the category here of someone that had made the movie in their minds before it came out. You know, I had all these cool ideas about Snoke. So I was definitely sad that we didn't we didn't get more from him, you know, that we just, boom, killed him. But I also understand. So, uh, something we didn't talk about uh, with Luke is I- in the third scene that we meet him, mm-hmm. 
he says, you don't need Luke Skywalker. And then he says, this isn't going to go how you think it is. I really think that's, you know, Ryan Johnson talking to us and saying, like, you know, in this case, uh, mm-hmm. Ray has, has been imagining how this is going to go. And it's not going to go that way. And we, the fans, have been imagining how this is going to go. And it's not going to go that way. Mm. And, like, rightly or wrongly, so many films struggle to figure out what they're trying to do. And maybe you didn't love this film, but Ryan Johnson made sure. the movie he yeah. wanted to make. I think, again, it's it's something else. The whole, like, not telling you anything about Snoke just kind of folds into the whole you know what you said like like luke kind of states the thesis of this movie which is it's this is not going to go the way you think and so like you know we've subverted everything else up to this point let's subvert snoke too you know so it kind of to me it's just like another you know piece of that i will say that i loved that scene like as sad as i was that we just Mm -hmm. killed off snoke like the lightsaber duel with with the the red i loved Mm -hmm. i loved the the what they call the Red Cloaks? I'm sure they have some other name. But even the idea of turning his lightsaber with Luke's uh, mm-hmm. lightsaber just to get past Snoke's mind readingness, like, it was cool. It was a cool scene. I had yeah. one issue. One issue with that scene. That would be aesthetically where the lightsaber went through him and then came forward, he still would have been attached by the spine, so he would not have fallen forward. Yeah, it's like he goes oh, through, the, the lightsaber goes straight through his center. His whole back half is still attached. Uh, that <laughs> is your big problem in a movie with, with laser swords and a million other things? No, that like, was... You're gonna... Space no, wizards I meant, and a million no, other... I meant, I, meant, I meant just that scene. I meant just that scene. That was my biggest problem with that scene. That's fair. I I I, I want to say though, um, on the point of Snoke, like killing him off without explaining anything is is one thing, but the fact that this this is also affects episode seven episodes from between episode six and episode seven we're expected to believe that suddenly this first order led by Snoke comes out of nowhere to dominate the galaxy with the void the Empire left, so mm-hmm. you can't just kill off Snoke. And say he didn't matter well, because th- that whole like plot point, the whole reason any of this is happening was hinging on Snoke. So the audience needs to know why is this happening. Are, are conversely, you... conversely, I mean, I'm gonna jump to the other side of the fence here for a second. Can you tell me, like, not just don't think about the prequels for a second. We're just talking about the original trilogy. Well, yeah, yeah, no. What, can, what was the definitely... what was the Emperor's backstory? Well, right, the Emperor doesn't have a backstory, but you right. don't. There's no prequel... Okay, so in a world without the prequels, you have 4, 5, and 6. Yes. You don't have any reason to think, well, how did the Emperor come to power? Because Episode 4 is the starting point for this series. Again, like, Episode 4 gets away with stuff I feel like Episode 8 can't get away with. Because you mm-hmm. you, you are le- left with the burden of trying to explain, like, why is this conflict happening? Well, it's happening because of Snow yeah. and his, like, influence. Well, it's, yeah, and in, in like... You know, the this new trilogy has got the extra task of, you know, because we were led to believe at the end of Return of the Jedi, oh, yeah, the Empire's defeated, it's all over. 
So you kind of have that question mark in the back of your mind. Well, how did we get here? Right. And you, you, you kind of implicitly assume that Snoke is going to fill some of that in. I and also I think have issues. For better or worse. Go, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, keep going. For better or worse, I think that this movie, or this new trilogy, rather, swings to the other side of the pendulum. Like, one of the most common complaints against the prequel trilogy, I think, is that it's too there's too much exposition and there's too many details that we don't care about. This trilogy kind of swings to the opposite end of the spectrum, where it's like, we're going to give you the minimum amount of detail you need to get by. And so, with Snoke, it's like you know, Ryan Johnson has said in interviews, like he didn't feel like it was appropriate at any point in the movie for Snoke to, you know, give his backstory. So like just from a screenwriting standpoint, he didn't feel like there was any place for it to go. Yeah. It's just, it's a sticky situation. Yeah, for sure. Cause it's like, you don't want to stop the action and have snow give a soliloquy that is like interesting, but it like halts what's going on. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, going back to the throne room scene, though, I, I just also wanted to throw my hat in that I think that the scene is really visually cool and visually it's probably my favorite scene in this movie. Um, you know, cause I think that it's, it's, I think it's one of the clearest, um, like we've been talking about how, oh, well this, this thesis statement is about subverting expectation. This movie's thesis statement is about subverting expectations and, you know, making you think it's going to go one way and then going a different way. Like, I think that the the scene visually, like how you have the big red curtain filling the room and it's like burning down as this, um, this fight is progressing. It's to me, the scene is about how Ryan Johnson is taking the tapestry that is star Wars and burning it to the ground. Hmm. And I think that's, what's that? Interesting. That to me, that is a really cool idea. And I think that's really interesting. For me, it this movie completely falls down in the details of what we've been talking about, where there are a lot of little missteps that add up to the point where it keeps me from just wholeheartedly enjoying what this movie is trying to do and saying, like, we're going to everything you thought was true in Star Wars, we're going to tear it all down. We're going to do something different. Like it, it it's, it's so frustrating. It's like I want this movie to just like be clearer and more focused in that regard, mm-hmm. like with that statement, but it's like all these little distractions that get in the way, like misplaced jokes and strange editing choices. And, and like just all these little things that, that bug me to the point where it's like, it, it keeps me from enjoying what this movie is, is doing. Mm-hmm. And at the conclusion of the throne room scene, it kind of gets to one of another big pet piece I have with this movie is that mm-hmm. it, I feel like he didn't have the guts to go through with it. Like, yes, literally yes, yes. any of the story plots we've been talking about, he didn't have the guts to do what he'd set up. And again, this is another subversion of expectations that we're throwing around so much. Like I the, assume you're, you're referring to Ray not siding with Kylo right, Ren. Right, Ray not siding with Kylo. And then, like, for uh, Poe's storyline, getting back to that, like, you know, he wants to do this, like, uh, I don't know, death run, just try to do as much damage as possible and uh i'm talking about finn no no no, i'm talking about poe he wants to go go attack the empire and do something and then uh holdo's like no we can't do that and then her character arc ends up with her doing like a suicide charge blowing up all the resistance or all the empire ships right she does what and like luke says what do you want me to do go out there and fight the entire first order by myself as a joke and then he ends up doing that to a certain extent like Mm -hmm. 
in this in I feel like it tries to do something different and then it just does, it, it wimps out at the last moment. It's kind of my a lot a big issue I have with the film. Like if you're going to do something, yeah. if you're going to burn down the past, kill the past, then do it. Don't just try to hold try don't try to play both sides of it, I guess. Yeah, like to me this this there's a lot of places where this movie wants to have its cake and eat it too where it's uh, you know one of its other big thesis statements is is you know forget the past kill it if you have to but then peppered throughout this movie are scenes that are like nostalgic callbacks to scenes from the original trilogy like the cave scene for instance like that's clearly meant to remind us of Luke going into the cave in Empire or like the entire yeah or the sunken x-wing yep yeah the sunk x-wing um the the throne room scene was like almost beat for beat like right down to ray looking out the window is meant to remind us of the return of the jedi throne room scene now i think you could argue that he did that deliberately so that he could yank the rug out from under us make you think oh it's it's nostalgic and remember this but then psych it's not <clears throat> but I mean, it's it's a two-edged sword, for sure. Like, you know, trying to get you to feel nostalgic and then, like, saying, no, it's it's this way because you just spent several minutes of your movie recalling something from a previous film. So you're kind of doing the same thing as what The Force Awakens did in, in its deliberate callbacks. Right. Because you're, you're wasting screen time to remind people about, oh, it's it's like what you saw before instead of just straight up doing something new. Okay, well, I do think we're coming up on an hour, so we should probably oh, wrap up. Um, I will say for the two people that are still listening at this point, uh, we're aware <laughs> that we're puffins, not penguins, on the island. We don't need well, any, yeah. uh comments about <laughs> that and um actuallys. Okay, final thoughts. Who wants to go first? Uh, Brennan? Remember, this was your pick. Uh, <laughs> I will, I will, I don't know Dang. if I said this in this yet. I did pick this movie based off the fact at the time I hadn't seen this. Um, that being said, now that I have seen this now two times, um, I do own it now. Will I watch it that often? Probably not. Will I take it on an island? Probably not. Do I believe that Snoke is Jar Jar Binks? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, one to ten, what would you give it? I'll give it a five. Okay. Phil, let's have it. Uh, I would say this is my new uh, borderline for what separates other star wars films from the prequels um i feel like due to how, how much of a muddled mess this movie is we it's just i can't I, like i'd give it a six probably just because yes the visuals are really stunning the set pieces are pretty well done with the exception of canto bite which mm -hmm. we didn't even get we didn't even talk about canto bite that makes me so sad yeah, there's a lot of story here. There's a lot of stuff I was expecting yeah, to get into. Yeah, we kind of got way down the weeds. Like but. plasma, or uh, what's... Phasma. Yeah. Captain Phasma. Let's go, Chrome Dome! 
<laughs> I can't imagine why we didn't talk about Captain Phasma. Golly she she impacted the plot so much. Okay. Uh, anyway, six out of five. Six out of five. No, please. Six out of Whoa, five. Phil loved it. The, favorite the Phil recommendation. Six out of five. Please uh, never watch this film. Uh, I, I I don't know this this film. This film honestly single handedly killed any hype or like love of Star Wars I'd left. I'll still watch the original trilogy from time to time, but I'm not at all excited for any of the new films. Now you say original trilogy. I know. I'm four, seen... five, and six. You don't like one, two, and three? Uh, I'll watch the Christmas special. I'll dabble in that, but the prequels are out of my <laughs> out of my range. Dabbles in the Christmas special every every now and then. Every again. now and then, I'll just hit a joint up and just get real nice and high and watch that. It's a good time. <laughs> now Apple's gonna hit us with an E for drugs. Elliot, go ahead. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I have a whole lot left to say. Um, I think. <clears throat> This movie is just extremely frustrating for me because I I get kind of like what what Ryan Johnson was trying to do with it. I think that it's admirable and cool, and I I dig this idea that you're tearing down Star Wars and making something new. For me, it's it's all in the little the you know like I said earlier, just the little moments that that you know the devils in the details kind of thing where it's like it it just moment to moment it doesn't work for me. Like to me, it's like. This is like going to a kid's piano recital and like they sit down and say they're going to play the Moonlight Sonata and they're kind of playing through it. And every now and again, they'll be like plinking the wrong notes and you're just like, ooh, ooh. It was like, and then they, they finish like, oh, you almost got it, you know? And so that's that's kind of how I, I feel about this. Like, I don't wholeheartedly hate this movie. I think it's, there are aspects of it that are really cool that are competently done, but there's just a lot of things that, leave me scratching my head like why why did this scene not go through a couple more drafts to polish up the dialogue or like why did you cut it this way because it would have worked better if you had done it this other way uh, yeah so like I'm not going to take this on an island with me if I had to go 1 to 10 I'd probably also go with a 6 for me I think that as a fan, there was a lot of frustrating moments in this film. But I also think that there were a lot of really talented people working really hard on this. And it shows. Mm -hmm. The art direction, uh, the visuals of this film are great. Uh, the, The salt planet with the red dirt coming up is so striking. Mm. All the visuals, uh, the cinematography, I think this was a strong film in those oh yeah there were definitely some moments that didn't land with me but overall i Mm -hmm. love that there was a movie that we could all go to the theater watch together and talk about a lot i think that's what movies are at their best and i love it now there were definitely moments that you know left me scratching my head a little bit and i totally understand your guys's frustration with it I think I'd give it a 7 out of 10, though. Would you take it on the desert island? No. No, I would not. Yeah, and yeah, I actually, I wanted to kind of bounce off what Phil said earlier. I'm in the same boat, actually, to where, like, this movie just kind of zapped me of wanting to see episode 9, which I think is the, you know... 
But the maybe mo- that's going to be the biggest gift of this movie in the long run. It's going to take away all your expectations, and maybe you'll end up loving episode. Oh nine. yeah, because my expectations are like, my expectations are like in the basement at the moment. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'll stop. We're we're we probably need to wrap this up. So we we, well actually yeah. Now that we're we've we've reached the end of um our our theme of movies that came out last year. Um, how just real quick, how would you guys rank them, like favorite to least favorite of the the four? Brennan, I know Brennan didn't see Blade Runner, but I didn't get to see Blade Runner. Oh. Um, three billboards is out of these four is probably my number one. Um, I hmm, would say I. There's parts of Shape of Water I actually enjoyed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to an aspect where I don't think it was worthy of awards it got, but at the same time... Best picture! Uh, it was pretty... <laughs> it wasn't bad. Um, I wish I could have seen Blade, Blade Runner. Star Wars I'm going to put last. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know about between Blade Runner and Shape of Water. I can't really say because I didn't get to see Blade Runner. Yeah, for me, um, Blade Runner is is at the top, and then Three Billboards close second. Um, <clears throat> I was gonna put Shape of Water third, but now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it, it's like the things I said about Shape of Water are very similar to things I've said about Last Jedi, where it's like I saw what it was trying to go for, but it just kind of fell down in the details. And I think of the two, I'm probably more likely to watch Last Jedi again than Shape of Water. Like, I can't see myself watching Shape of Water again, so I would probably go Last Jedi. As much as it pains me to not, you know, continue to kick The Last Jedi around, I think I would probably put Last Jedi at third place in the Shape of Water. I will say, to Last Jedi's credit, the story is... Like, Shape of Water was very straightforward with its story. Mm-hmm. Last Jedi has enough meat to it that you can like watch it again and like kind of wonder why, why, why. <laughs> so it has that going for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Shape of Water, you just watch it and you're like, oh yeah, this is. It's Beauty very and the simple Beast. for. Yeah, it's very simple. What a high profile movie it was. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next month, yes, um, we're going to be doing anime films for yes. the theme, and everybody's made their pick. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So I picked your name. Phil, what did you pick? I picked five centimeters per second. Okay, Robert? I picked uh, blue. Perfect blue. Perfect blue. Perfect blue. I changed my. Hold up. What was my final pick? Uh, Tokyo Godfathers. That's what I ended up picking. Okay. Yeah, it was fun. Good stuff. Bye. Bye. Good night.